you got your Bibles this morning, I'd love for you to join me back in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. We've been using this as a springboard verse for our series entitled uh, Brokenness. Uh, we've been going through a series of messages entitled Brokenness. We started uh, three weeks ago, and we talked about uh, the principle of brokenness. And we just simply said the principle of brokenness is that when God breaks us, many times He's silent. And just because God's silent in your life when He's breaking you does not mean He's abandoning you. Now, what that means is God is active in your life. God is doing something in your life. You may not know what it is, but just because He's silent doesn't mean that He's abandoned you. And then we came the next week, uh, which was last week, and we just uh, simply talked about uh, the process of brokenness. We said that it would be nice if brokenness was just a one-time event and we didn't have to suffer anymore. But the, the fact is, it, it's a process. This week I had to go to Athens Orthopedic. You, you might sit there and be thinking, well, I'm not surprised. Well, neither was I, and neither were they when I showed up. Uh, the fact of the matter is, is I'm still suffering from my hoverboard uh, accident. Well, actually, it's humiliation, but anyways, that's a whole other story. You, get the, you can get the CD on that if you want to hear that story. But the fact of the matter is, is I, I've seen now, I'm, I'm seeing another, another orthopedic doctor, and the good news is I'm getting better. Uh, the bad news is it's a process, and it takes a long time. Uh, and uh, every time I sit down with a new doctor, I've got to retell the story. Uh, and that's not, that's not fun. That, that's humiliating. I mean, it really is. I wish I could just say, oh, yeah, that's on my roof. I fell off the roof and landed right on my back. No, uh, no, I have to sit there and say, well, I was playing on my 11-year-old son hoverboard and I fell off of it. I mean, that's just, you know, it's humiliating. But the fact of the matter is it's a process. Same thing's true with brokenness. When God breaks you, that brokenness that He has broken you with tends to be a process throughout the course of your life. It would be nice if it was a one single event, but many times it's not. And then this morning, that brings us to today, which this morning I want to talk about the instruments of brokenness. The instruments of brokenness. Now there are many, many instruments that God uses to break us. Uh, as a matter of fact, there's uh, uh, so many that I, what I've chosen, I've chosen to highlight eight. But I want to do it in a two-part series of messages. So this is part number one, and next week will be part number two. So part number one here in this issue of instruments of brokenness, tools that God uses to break us. Uh, many times when God breaks us, He breaks us from the perspective that we need to be less self-sufficient and more God-sufficient. We need to be more Christ-sufficient, putting our trust and hope upon Him. Uh, a beautiful illustration of this in the New Testament, many disciples experience this, Paul is one that we've really highlighted through the course of this sermon series just to say, look, here in Paul's life, we see the evidence that he had to go through some extremely difficult things as a born-again child of God because Paul's number one problem was pride. So how do you know that? Well, if you found your place in 2 Corinthians chapter number 11, let's look at verse number 7. In fact, we'll read down a couple of verses here this morning so that we can get the context. If you're able to stand, would you please stand as we honor the reading of God's Word? Let's notice what Scripture says. Paul says, And uh, lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelation, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to buffet me, 
lest I should be exalted above measure. Now let me say something parenthetically right there. Right there in the text he says, lest I should be exalted above measure. Paul had a problem with pride. Remember, he was the one that said, I'm the Jew of all Jews, the Gentile of all Gentiles. I'm the priest of all priests. I mean, I, I got a pedigree that absolutely outshines anybody. And so he had a real problem with pride. You want to know somebody that was religious? Paul. He was a religious fanatic. But what God wants is not religion. What God wants is a relationship. And so when you have a relationship, that dependence is placed upon that relationship. And so Paul, just like every, every other individual, everybody that's here, had a tendency to go back towards a self-sufficiency of his own flesh. So God said, I love you enough, Paul, to give you a messenger from Satan. I can almost see it in my mind's eye, kind of like Job. Uh, Satan comes up and goes, hey, uh, I know there's a radical salvation in Paul's life. You know Saul, and you can't change the name to Paul. I know there's a radical sa salvation in his life, but let's put him through the Job test. And God says, okay, I'll tell you what, you can have him, just don't kill him. And so we find here in the text, he says, so there was a messenger of Satan that came to Paul to buffet him. We'll talk about that in a minute. Verse 8, i got to hurry. For this thing I besought the Lord three times, thrice, that it might depart from me. Paul says, I prayed three times, God, take it away. And the Lord said to me, and he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You may be seated this morning. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of His Word. Paul said there in verse number 9 that he wanted the power of God to rest on him. So in order for the power of God to rest on Paul, then God had to use some instruments in Paul's life to make sure that his uh, total sufficiency, his total attention, Paul's attention, was upon Jesus Christ himself. And so this morning, my point that I'm wanting to make here is just simply this. The same thing that happened to Paul happens in our lives. And God uses the same instruments that he used in the Bible in our lives. And the point of brokenness is that your sufficiency will be less upon yourself and more upon Jesus. So what are the instruments of brokenness? Here they are. Let me give you four of them this morning. And then I'll come back next week and give you four more. Number one, the first one is Satan. Satan. God can use Satan to move you to a point of brokenness in your life. You think about Job. Remember, we've talked about Job. We talked about how uh, the devil went to, God, went to God and said, God, you considered your servant Job. The only reason why he loves you is because you blessed him. You take your hand off of him. You let me have him just for a little while and he'll curse you. Job found to be faithful to God. Job found himself to be a, a lover of God. But Satan had to ask permission to go to you now to, to go to Job. Now remember, if Satan will have to ask permission to go to Job, then as a born-again child of God, the Bible tells us that the devil can never possess you. Amen? He can never possess you. But he can come alongside and oppress you. The demons of hell can be such an oppression to the child of God that but watch this. What the devil intended for evil, God intended for good. God can use that and break you to where your dependence is not upon yourself, but upon God. 
And so we find this to, to be true. As a matter of fact, we think about who tempted God, who tempted Jesus Christ. The devil. The devil himself tempted the Lord Jesus Christ. So we find here that in Paul's life, in our text, we see that in Paul's life, this thorn in the flesh, the Bible says, was a messenger of Satan sent to buffet him repeatedly or torment him repeatedly. God used Satan to produce brokenness in Paul's life. God can use Satan, can use him to produce, can use Satan to produce brokenness in your life. But let me tell you this. Satan can never, can never fault the plan of God for your life. God's got a plan for you, and that plan is specifically for you. And regardless of the instrument that God uses to break you, to put your dependence up on Him, God is still working on your plan A. God hadn't gone to your plan B. There's no plan B. God only has plan A. And the plan A for your life is that your life glorify Him in everything. That you not stand before Him and go, well, the reason why I'm here is because I kept all the commandments. No, there's a lot of religious people in hell today. Uh, not to say, well, you know what, I'm a pretty good person. I mean, I went to church on Easter and I went to church on, on uh, Christmas. I, I went to church on uh, Mother's Day and Father's Day when my mom and dad wanted me to come. I'm a pretty good person. I don't smoke, I don't drink, don't chew, don't date girls that do. I'm a pretty good individual. The fact of the matter is simply this. Your goodness, the Bible says, is as filthy, nasty, dirty rags. You know what you do with a dirty rag, don't you? You put it in the washing machine and wash it. Why? Because it's dirty. Nobody wants to use a dirty rag. Now, I don't have time to go into the meaning of, the, of those words, but it is definitely a lot more graphic than what I am picturing here today for you in this message. The point that I'm making for you is this, that God doesn't want your good works. God needed a sacrifice, a holy and righteous, spotless lamb. And there's only one person that was qualified for that, and that was Jesus Christ, the God-man, who stepped out of heaven, came to this earth, lived a sinless life, died on Calvary's cross, was buried, and rose again the third day so that you and I might have eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He's the only way that you can get to heaven. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says so nobody can boast. Nobody's going to go to, the, go to heaven and say, Well, God, I did it. I did it. I did it. I, just, I, I did it. I, I did good works, and here I am. God will say, Depart from me, you work of iniquity. I never knew you. So Paul, in understanding that religion would not get him to heaven, had this wonderful uh, Damascus Road salvation experience where God knocked him off of his horse. I mean, broke him all the way down to the bone. And the fact of the matter is when he got saved, he got full of Jesus, and he got radical for Jesus Christ. And the church to which he was persecuted, now he comes to the church by which he pursues, knowing that it is truly the bride of Christ. And so here's the problem Paul had. He had this problem of being prideful. And so the Bible tells us here in the text, the Scripture tells us that uh, uh, we find here that, that uh, a messenger of Satan came to buffet him. Now a lot of people won't talk about what was it? What was this thorn in the flesh? Was it mental? Was it his vision? Was it his hearing? Did he have a, a hitch in his giddy-up? I mean, what, what really... What was his problem? I, I, look, here's the thing. Here's what I've learned. 
if the Bible's silent on an issue, it would do a preacher well to be silent on the issue as well. I don't know what his thorn in the flesh was. What I do know is that it was given to him because he had a problem with pride. I also know that it was a messenger of Satan. It was some, somehow, some way, a messenger, a deliverer boy, would come and deliver him to the point where he was tormented every day, so much so that he would pray and ask God, God, would you please take this away? And God said, no, my grace is sufficient for you. And so Paul understands then from that perspective, okay, I'm never going to get over this. I'm never going to stop Hurting. I'm never going to stop experiencing this messenger of Satan. And so I understand that I am strong in my weakness. Therefore, I'm going to move on for the glory of God. Would it surprise you if God took your situation and said, Look, this is as good as it's going to get on this earth. How would that change your walk with Jesus? This is as good as it's going to get on this earth. Dear friend, it ain't going to last forever because this world's not our home. But on this earth, Shane, here let me take my own buffet of Satan. Your shoulders are going to get as good as they're going to get. You dummy, you tried to ride your boy's hoverboard and now you bust it up. So it's, the, it's just going to keep on. You're going to hurt till the day you die. But when you get to heaven, I'm going to give you new shoulder blades to which I say glory to God. Well, what about you? Now, I know that's a little bit facetious, but what if, what if, the, what if the illustration uh, or the application in this for your life is your financial situation? What if it's having to put up with those X's that you have to put up with? Well, what if it's struggling, if you will, with some kind of health problem? Oftentimes, God can use Satan to break us. Number two, let me give you a second one very quickly. God also can use sin to produce brokenness in us. Sometimes God uses our own sin or our own failure to produce a brokenness in our life. This is exactly what happened to David in David's life. He was a proud, also a proud, self-confident man until he committed a horrible sin of adultery with Bathsheba. You remember that story? The Bible tells us that David, in his own pride, in his own haughtiness, the Bible says when the king should go out to war, David stayed home. He was not where he was supposed to be. He should have been at war where the kings go, and he wasn't. And any time you go somewhere you're not supposed to go, there's always a temptation for you to do something you would never do. And so we find here that David did it. And as David did this, and he sinned with Bathsheba, and she got pregnant. And now he's got to do something uh, to cover up that. So what does he do? He kills Uriah the Hittite. He kills David's. Uh, he kills uh, Bathsheba's husband. And when it all is over, when it's all in said and done, the Bible says he was confronted with his sin. And we find this over in Psalms chapter fifty-one. Take your Bibles and, and, and let's, let's join each other there in Psalm 51. In Psalm uh, chapter number 51, we find this plea from David. From David to God concerning his sin. His sin is before God. And in Psalm chapter number 51, David is going to pray for a spiritual cleansing in his life. And notice what the Bible says here 
uh, all the way down to verse 17 if we could. He says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. According unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against thee and thee alone have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. That thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts and in the hidden parts. Thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sin and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then I will teach transgressors thy way, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. Thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else I would give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. Here it is, watch this. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. That word contrite in the Hebrew means to collapse. What he's saying there is, what I have understood of my relationship with God is that God wants to break me from my sin. My sin has moved me to the point of brokenness where I can't put my dependence upon my kingship. I can't put my dependence on being a man after God's own heart. No, my dependence has got to be on God and God alone. And the only way that I get to that place is to have a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. And so we find here that David... God used sin in his life to break him. I think a good modern day illustration of this is Chuck Colson. Chuck Colson is the founder of Prison Fellowship International. He was also on uh, President Richard Nixon's staff in his cabinet. And we all know about Watergate. And ever since uh, Watergate happened, now every president has some kind of gate. Uh, attached to their um, administration. But Watergate kind of set the bar. Uh, Chuck Colson ended up in prison because of Watergate. But it was in prison that he gave his heart to Jesus Christ. And he found, founded one of the greatest institutions to help prisoners come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. He wrote a book many years ago called Loving God. Listen to what he said concerning his sin. He says, and I quote, The real legacy of my life was my biggest failure. That I was an ex-convict. My greatest humiliation, being sent to prison, was the beginning of God's greatest use of my life. He chose the one experience in which I could not glory 
for His glory. End of quote. And Chuck Colson came to the end of himself and realized, he says, my sin broke me to the point where my dependence was placed upon Jesus Christ. And he says, that is a constant reminder. My sin is a constant reminder of what I put my hope in, what I put my trust in. Sometimes God uses sin to break us. Number three, God can use the spoken word to produce brokenness in us. God can use the spoken word to produce brokenness. Sometimes in the course of our failures, our self-sufficiencies in this life, God will use a spoken word, that is a preacher, to preach the truth and to give truth without any apology because it comes straight from the word of God. And this communication, this communicating of the spoken word of God has moved many people to come to repentance. The Bible says it's through the foolishness of preaching that people are saved. We find here in this arena of preaching the spoken word of God, even today, God moved in the first hour, He moved in the second hour. I'm convinced that He's moving in this hour. Why? Because the spoken word of God is coming forth. The man of God is behind the sacred desk of God, preaching the word of God with authority, saying, Thus saith the Lord. Listen, it ain't about what I think, it's about what God says. So David, again, is a beautiful illustration of this. When David, again, when, she, when he got with Bathsheba, you'll remember and recall what happened there. After Uriah died, uh, we find that the word of God was ushered into the very courtroom where David sat. And it came in the form of a preacher by the name of Nathan. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, in verses 1 through 11, the scripture says this. The Lord sent Nathan to David, when he came, when, and when he came to him, Nathan said, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little baby lamb that he had bought. This man loved the baby lamb. He raised it. It grew up with him and his children. It shared his food. It drank from his cup. That little lamb even slept in his arms. It was like a little daughter to him. Now a traveler came came to see the rich man. But the rich man stopped and refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the little baby lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to visit. David burned with anger in verse number 5. He was so angry and he told Nathan the prophet, he said, As surely as the Lord lives... This man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for the lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then we come to verse 7. Then Nathan said to David, You're the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anointed you over king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house to you and your master's wife in your arms. I gave you the house of Israel to Judah. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing this evil thing in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword, and you took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Amorites. Now therefore... 
The sword will never depart from you, David. It'll never depart from your house because you despised the Lord and you took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I am going to bring calamity upon you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to the one who's closest to you. He will lie with, the, with your wives in broad daylight. Oh, can you imagine what David's heart did when he heard the words of the prophet as he pointed his finger at him and said, You're the one. You're the man. I have been uh, told that any time I gesture like this right here, that my finger is about 20 feet long. And when I do this, it like it unfolds and it rolls out all the way to the back. I was preaching a message very similar to this many years ago. And look, uh, you know how many phone calls I got this morning of people coming to church? Zero. I have no idea who's coming to church any given Sunday morning. By the way, don't be cute and start texting me on Sunday morning that you're coming to church. I know how some of you think. But I, nobody calls and tells me. Nobody, Preacher, I just want to tell you I'm coming to church today. Nobody does that. Nobody. You just come. I mean, you, thank God. You just come to church, come to Sunday school. I mean, it's great. It's wonderful. I'm so grateful that you're here. But man, I was preaching a message like this one day, and the Spirit of God was just, I mean, we showed, God, God showed up. Man, God was moving in such a mighty way. And man, I made this gesture right here, and man, I, I pointed just like this and was preaching. I mean, just, man, God was moving, had a great invitation. And I was standing down front at the end of the message, <clears throat> standing down there at the end. And I was about to go to the back and shake hands, when all of a sudden, here they come from the back aisle. I don't know if you've ever seen people walk like this. Got me, just got right up, man, just, just right here. So I'm going to tell you something, preacher. So I want to appreciate you. So I'm standing there like this. Okay? So I don't, I don't know why. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. You ought to be ashamed of yourself preaching that message. I said, well, why? So you deliberately pointed out my son's sin. You did it deliberately. You knew exactly what he did last night. You knew exactly what was going on. Uh, somebody has told you. So, look, I, I'm standing there. I didn't have a clue. But bless God, it was coming out. In my Listen, let me tell you what I said on the inside, John. On the inside, I said, confession's good for the soul. But on the outside, I said, look, you've got to understand. I don't have a clue what you're talking about. So you know exactly what I'm talking about. When you, point, when you pointed your finger, you hit me right in the chest. I said, with all due respect, ma'am, I ain't poking nobody in the chest. If you felt anybody poking you, that was the Holy Spirit of God moving you to repentance. It sounds to me like God is trying to break you. I'm telling you what... I'd rather have a preacher on fire, the Holy Spirit of God, that study the Word of God, that'll stand up and preach the Word of God, say, thus saith the Lord, and say, keep looking at it, keep looking at the Bible, keep looking at what the Scripture says, read the Bible, do what the Bible says, repent, be converted, get saved, get baptized. I'm telling you what, I'd rather have a preacher preach the truth than to stand up there and tell me a lie that everything's okay. It's not okay.
We need a Holy Ghost revival. And the only way we'll have a Holy Ghost revival if we let the Spirit of God do whatever He wants to in our lives and break us to the point where we fall to our knees and we cry out to God and say, Oh God, I need to be more like you. That's what we need. And I believe that's what God wants to do in our congregation. Uh, I feel a lot like Jeremiah. You know, Jeremiah was the weeping prophet. And I've spent a lot of time crying. But I love what he said in Jeremiah 23, 29. The Bible says there, Jeremiah says, Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks rocks in pieces? That's the way I feel sometimes. The word of God. It's inside of me. I mean, it's just like a fire that's it's ignited my soul and I can't help myself. So it's like, how can you be so zealous? How could you have such zeal? Because I got saved, that's why. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says this: For the word of God is alive, it's active, it's living. Sharper than any two-edged sword. And it penetrates, dividing the soul there into the, 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 the spirit, the joint, and the marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Dear friend, even as I preach right now, the Holy Spirit of God's dealing with somebody. I've had individuals say, hey, I had it this morning, 8.15 service. Happened this morning, 8.15. Come up and say, Pastor... At the end of that message, God was moving in such a way in my heart. I, I felt like you were speaking right to me. I'm convicted over that message. Will you pray for me? And, and yes, I will pray for you. But you've got to understand something. I didn't prepare this message to preach right to you. I didn't pre- I've never prepared a message to preach to a person. I've always preached a message to preach to the church. To preach the gospel to the church. I don't think in my mind, well, you know, old Jim, he, he's out there drinking on Friday night. I'm going I'm to say something about preaching. I'm going to say something about drinking just for Jim. Uh, I know so-and-so, man, they, they, got, a, they, they, they got a problem with cussing. I'm, I'm gonna, let's, I'll, say something about, I'll say something about cussing because I, th- I know they cuss. Oh, I know, I know, I know uh, Barbara, she, she's a gossip. Man, I, I, I'm going to say something about gossiping. Because, you know, I don't do that. Ain't nobody's names come to my mind uh, when I'm preparing a message. I've had somebody tell me once before, they said, Pastor, when you were speaking and you gave that invitation... I was under such conviction, I, I had to grab the, the, the seat in front of me, and I was holding on to that seat in front of me because I knew if I turned loose, I'd come down front and get in the altar. If, if, if that's you, if that's you, God's going to keep on breaking you till you turn loose. He'll continue to do whatever He needs to do in your life, whether it be through Satan, through sin, or through the spoken Word of God. He'll do whatever it takes for you to finally turn loose and come to Jesus. Let me do this for I'm out of time. Let me do number four. The fourth instrument of brokenness that God uses in our lives. God can use suffering to produce brokenness in us. Suffering. This is certainly true of Paul. 
Paul suffered. He, he says there in the text, in our primary text, he tells us there that this messenger of Satan was there to buffet him. That word buffet there means to torment. In fact, it's a fascinating Greek word. It, it carries the, the definition to beat with the fists. When I was a junior in high school, I, uh, I, I was playing baseball, second base. I, I love baseball. Uh, I love playing second base. And uh, the guy playing uh, center field had never played center field before. Uh, the coach just said, hey, get me some center fielder out. Center, and they, he ran out there. So he hit a, a shallow by accident, it was not intentional. The coach hit a shallow fly ball to center field, and I went running back to get it. Now, anybody that plays baseball knows that the second baseman has the authority of calling people off if he's got the ball. He's running backwards, okay? The other guy's running forwards. I got, I got it. 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 And I, well, the guy playing center field didn't know that, so he didn't stop. He kept running. And so I go back to catch the ball, and when he hit me, all of his weight hit me on my knee, pushed my kneecap all the way over here, ripped all kind of tendons and ligaments and all that in my knee, okay? I went to the ground. My dad called me a pansy. I got up. I got back in place. Uh, I said, Dad, I'm really hurting. My dad's a baseball coach and the football coach at, at the high school I was at. I'm hurting, Dad. I really got a real serious issue here. And uh, he said, I'm about tired of hearing you whine like a little girl. You get over there and finish practice or you're going to run pole to pole. I said, okay. So I got up there and I couldn't move. And finally he had his bay to me. And he said, get yourself in the car and you go home. I'll deal with you when I get home. So I went in there and I got in the car. Now remember, I drove a Plymouth Horizon. It was a five-speed. You ever try to drive a five-speed with one foot, one-legged? One Man, I tell you what, I looked like I was drunk. I mean, I was just trying my best. I mean, it was really, really bad. And, man, I complained and cried, and finally Dad said, all right, we're going to take him. I guess we have to take him to the doctor. He just won't hush about this. Finally, Dr. Goodrow, I got my vindication. I sat up there on that table with that leg out there, and that doctor took that kneecap. Man, he moved it all around. He said, son, he said, I got some bad news for you. He said, that thing is major, major broke. He says, I don't know what's going on inside there, but you've got to have surgery, and we need to have it, like, immediately. We've got to get you in there on the table and get you, get you back up and running. And as, as much pain as I was in, I said, would you mind, make, would you say that one more time for my daddy? <laughs> got me out there on that table, and... They wanted to do it orthoscopically. You know, make four little holes in there. We'll get the instruments in there. We'll patch that thing up. Everything will be fine. He said, but if we run into a problem, we'll have to cut you. Unfortunately, they had to cut me. I've got a nice scar that runs from the top of my kneecap all the way down past my knee. And uh, just a, rem a constant reminder of the instruments that the doctor used to fix my knee. Now, after he'd fixed my knee, I had to keep it immobile for a couple of weeks. And then I had to go to physical therapy. How many of you have ever been to physical therapy? It's the closest thing to hell on earth. <laughs> I'm telling the truth. My doctor was Dr. Bishop. Dr. B I just, I could really. I went in Dr. Bishop's and he'd put me on this machine first and it would flex my knee back and forth, back and forth. Now, the goal, now my knee would not bend at all. No degree, no degree. So he had to say, he said, here's the goal. I want you to be able to get your heel to your hip. 
The moment your heel touches your hip, you're done. I said, well, how long is that process going to take? I don't know, six weeks or longer. Really, it's dependent upon you. So he'd put me on this machine, and, zzz, 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 and I'd be in pain. And I can remember it being in such pain, just as Paul said, I would hit my fist on that machine. Shane quit hitting our machines. It hurts. It's getting better. Quit hitting the machines. Finally, the machine would stop. I'd get off the machine, and I'd hobble on over to a table. And he said, now, here, take this pillow. I said, why don't you want me to do this pillow? He says, I want you to put your face in it. I said, do what? He said, put your face in it. I said, why? He says, you'll need something to scream into. So I put my face down on the pillow, and he would take my knee, and he would, he would flex it and bend 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 it. And, bend it and, bend. and man, it would hurt. I would scream. I would cry. Man, it was in such pain. I hated that. The pain was so intense. But here's the point I want to make. The healing didn't come until at first there was pain. I did, listen, I did not feel the, the full freedom of running until I first experienced the pain of recovery. And so to, today, look, I still got it. I can remember going into Dr. Bishop one time and I said... He said, well, it's been three weeks. Uh, and he says, you're doing way better than I thought you would. I said, well, guess what? I'm tired of looking at you. I'm ready to go home. I'm, I don't want to come here anymore. You have hurt me for the last time. I'm finished. I'm ready to be done with it. He said, what are you saying? I said, I want you to max me out. Every time I'm here, max me out. He said, okay. And he'd come back with two pillows. <laughs> and I took them. And I would bury my face in them. And in excruciating pain, excruciating pain, I would cry. Until I was fixed. One of, my, one of my very good friends, Danny Weeks, he would carry me to my appointments. He was kind enough to carry me to my appointments. Today, uh, he, and he's told me this, he said, Shane, that experience you went through, and, and I saw what God did in taking you from that point of brokenness to the point of healing and the pain that you went through, but now your recovery. To see how he did that, uh, Danny was a, is a physical therapist today because of that, uh, because of that uh, trial that I went through. Uh, the, the point I'm making here is this. You're never going to feel the freedom, the freedom that you have in healing until you first experience the pain. Suffering. When you think about the suffering that you're going through, you think about the men of God that God used greatly but had to suffer first. How about Jonah? Jonah had to stay in the belly of gastric juices for three days. Nasty. But God used him. David had to go through a traumatic trial. But God used him. Paul, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. God used these men in tremendous ways. Rachel, Rebecca, Ruth. God used these ladies in mighty ways, but he had to break them first. I love Jeremiah 29, 11. God says, I know the plans that I have for you. And they're plans to prosper you. Now, I know the context, all right, for all of our Bible scholars. I know the context, but I'm using that verse as an application. God does know the plans that he has for you. And they are, and those plans are to give you a future hope. 
And that hope is in none other than Jesus Christ. So whatever the sickness is that God's using in your life in regards to suffering, let God use it to the full extent so that you might be fully Christ-sufficient and not self-sufficient. The stress that you're under, the betrayal of a friend, the injustice and lies of other people, the financial losses, the job pressures, the death of a close loved one, disappointments, failures, rejection, even persecution. Let God use those things in your life to put your sufficiency upon Him. And not upon yourself. Remember what Paul said. He came to Romans chapter 8 verse 28. And he says all things work together for good. All things. All things are good to those that love him. James had something to say about it. My brethren count it all joy. When you fall into diverse temptations. Count it as a joy. Now I know it's easier to preach than live. But I'm telling you. If God didn't mean it. He'd have never put it in there. 1 Peter 5.10 And the God of all grace who calls you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong and steadfast. How are you strong? How are you steadfast? How do you keep going? You first got to be broken. Psalms 119 verse 67, one of my favorites. This is what he says. Before I was afflicted and I went astray, but now I obey your word. Will you obey the Word of God today? Will you obey the Word in letting God break you? Let's bow for prayer. Maybe you're here today and maybe God's used the spoken Word or maybe He's using some other things in your life to break you. Dear friend, I want to challenge you this morning. Don't leave this place the same way that you came in. If brokenness is a process, if brokenness is God's activity in your life, if God is moving in your life, and there's silence and you're begging God, God, take this away, take this away, and God says, no, 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 my grace is sufficient for you. Because in your weakness, I am made known and shown your strength. Dear friend, why don't you surrender to that today? Why don't you let God have His perfect work in you? You may be here today and maybe, maybe you don't know we're going to spend an eternity. I'm telling you, the first thing God breaks us of, He breaks us of our own sin-sick self that we might come to Him in a saving knowledge. So dear friend, today, if God's breaking you, the first point of brokenness is this, that you get saved. You trust Jesus as Savior. So if you're here today and you'd say, you know what, Shane, God's breaking me. I need to trust Christ. I I need to come to Jesus. Listen, you don't need to clean up. You don't need to stop drinking. You don't need to stop doing any of that thing. You just need to come just as you are, as Jesus Christ is calling your name, as he's wanting you to come to him. Listen, just let him change you from the inside. Come to him first. Don't try to clean up first. So how how might I do that, preacher? Just like this. Right where you're sitting this morning. To the best of your ability. The best that you know how. Why don't you cry out to God and say something like this to Him? Would you say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. But I believe you died on the cross for my sin. And this morning I ask you to cleanse me of my sin I repent this morning 
And I trust you as my Savior. Thank you for saving me. I'll live for you. And I'm not ashamed of you. In Jesus' name.